BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Storm chasers range from professionally trained photographers to research meteorologists to thrill seekers watching radar on their phones. And yet still, even today, the majority of them are male. Girls Who Chase is an organization born out of the desire to elevate the efforts of women chasers, to give them a community and to empower them to do that thing they most long to do, no matter how daunting, non-stereotypical or mathematical it might seem. The founder of Girls Who Chase, Jen Walton, joins us today on Weather Geeks. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm meteorologist Jen Carfagno. I've been at the Weather Channel for 24 years, and this is my first opportunity to host our Weather Geeks podcast here. And I'm very excited to bring you Jen Walton, who started this community, Girls Who Chase. Jen, welcome to the show. Jen, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be on, and what a wonderfully appropriate guest hosting opportunity for Weather Geeks. Yes, yes, indeed. It's a perfect situation where we wanted to highlight you and everything you're doing. I've been interested in participating in the Weather Geeks hosting, and so uh, this is going to be really fun, really fun. You have a very interesting background, and one of the ways that um, when Marshall uh, Shepard usually opens up the podcast is to ask, how did you become a Weather Geek? So let's start right there. Even before you became a chaser, how did you become a Weather Geek? Well, I think the fair answer is I've probably always been a weather geek, uh, but it's been kind of a slow and sl steady progression into chasing. And it actually started with the Weather Channel. Um, I was about six years old at its outset, and uh, my parents would turn on the television after I'd been watching it. And instead of cartoons, it was always tuned to the Weather Channel. <laughs> so, that was my exact same story. <laughs> we're cut from the same cloth. <laughs> right. Um, and actually, we were living in Atlanta at the time. And so it, it just seemed like such a wonderfully appropriate uh, place for me to, to start. Um, and, you know, for some reason, weather on the eights was just uh, like clockwork for me. It just kind of kept things slow and steady. But um, I can't actually really pinpoint the specific moment. I know that at one point I was actually terrified of, of weather. We would have nighttime thunderstorms regularly in Georgia. And I would end up crawling into my parents' bedroom because the lightning and thunder was terrifying. And uh, one day that switched from terror to just utter fascination. And it, it sounds like this is a storyline a lot of chasers share, interestingly. Um, and I started wandering outside to watch thunderstorms and then um, became one of those people that just got a hold of any kind of chase footage I could, watched all the reality shows, knew who all the people were. Um, and because of my background in the sciences out here in Colorado, especially, I was always kind of one degree removed from a lot of the severe weather research folks. And, you know, initially uh, that translated to trying to talk them into taking me with them chasing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 
I think in my head, you know, I wasn't a meteorologist. I wasn't necessarily um, qualified to be out there driving around severe weather. And um, truthfully, you know, looking back at the trajectory, I uh, didn't see anyone really who looked like me in media. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I look back at all of those reality shows and all the content that I absorbed, um, occasionally there were women on there, but they sort of seem to have this token role, like somebody's mm -hmm. girlfriend or um, wife, or just kind of along for the ride for one reason or another. And I think on some level, there was a subconscious story that chasing just was not for me. And so it took a while for that to shift to, from, you know, I need to go with an expert to I'm capable of becoming yeah. one myself. Um, and that was a pretty significant shift. Yes, yes. And I think your story is one that just many female meteorologists in general encounter, feel, go through those emotions when just, just to become a meteorologist, let alone heading out to storm chase, because there's not a lot of women in general in meteorology. And now I do want to go back in and dig into your background. We want to talk about girls who chase today and how you got to become a chaser. But your background is, is not in meteorology directly. So you started, <laughs> let me run through your background here. You have uh, a bachelor's in environmental communication from UNC Chapel Hill. And then you got your master's in journalism and technical communication from Colorado State University. Um, but neither of these are, you know, a pure meteorology forecasting degree. Is that something that you had been interested in pursuing? So the environmental communication bachelor's is actually a combination of environmental science and public relations. And I was actually the first graduate from Chapel Hill with that degree, which is kind of hilarious to look back on now because uh, there are quite a few journalism programs churning out, you know, science and climate communication focused uh, programs. And so I think at some point, you know, the interest in the science ran deep, um, but I all knew relatively quickly that lab work was not for me, um, in part because I just was not into the deep science and math. Um, and so I think at one point, actually, I wanted to be an astronaut, mostly because I wanted to float. <laughs> <laughs> and quickly realized that that was not going to work out for me. Um, and our family has a journalism background that runs m actually many generations back. Uh, and so at some point it became clear that the best way that I could contribute to the, the world of science was through communication. And that was kind of where that duel came from. So from a meteorology perspective, uh, I think because I had spent about 17 years working in science and climate communication, it was not difficult for me to figure out where the educational resources were, um, start to process through them, find the ones that I felt like translated the science effectively, and use that to start to build uh, forecasting knowledge base. Um, but really, prior to 2018, I wasn't working with any specific meteorology or forecasting tools. Yeah, but yet, you know, you were a weather geek at heart, and that actually means a lot. And we know that we have a lot of, you know, armchair meteorologists at home who watch the Weather Channel and follow us on social media. And um, there's a lot of knowledge out there and, and so much more information accessible today to everyone than was, yeah, I know when I first got into the business, it was difficult to find weather data, let alone model data, right? I mean, now it's at your fingertips and many free sites available out there. 
Yes, free sites and uh, wonderful resources and more and more really every year. I mean, even since I started in 2018, there's quite a few new um, educational resources that have been developed uh, that folks are utilizing. But I think what's been missing uh, in a lot of ways that I'd love to chat about is, is uh, a one-stop shop where you find those. So I think the big mm-hmm. issue right now and a barrier to entry that we've found for women into weather and storm chasing is knowing where to get started. It's it's yeah. not like you wake up one morning, decide you're a storm chaser, and then you're automatically registered into storm chasing 101. Yes. <laughs> you have to figure well, exactly. it out. <laughs> exactly. So, so you had, that was accessible to you because you were at, uh, you know, Colorado State University and you had the breadth of knowledge available there in the chase team, I'm assuming is who you went with. Um, when did you go out on your own and, you know, be able to call yourself a storm chaser? Well, I never did make it out with a chase team. I, I had a lot of folks promise me uh, that they would take me with them up to and including um, I dropped in one day where Josh Warman used to keep the Dows um, in Boulder because our office was actually just down the street and was like, trying to name drop my way into getting them to take me with them. And it just never worked out. And so I sort of had, um, you know, decided that this was just never going to happen. And it was going to become this pipe dream um, that I would just watch other people do. And then one day realized uh, there were chase tours and signed myself up for one, kind of went through the process of thinking, well, I can't do that. And then thinking, wait a minute, why am I telling myself that? Like, what is actually stopping me? So I I went out with a chase tour in June 2018, um, and it was 2018, and it which was a relatively quiet year for severe weather. Mm-hmm. So we didn't see a whole lot, um, but I spent the majority of that time um, just asking nonstop questions of the tour guides. I think I surprised them and me by the veracity <laughs> at which I was asking questions, and so I. I think I learned enough, just enough to be dangerous. And I I now live uh, just north of Denver on the Colorado Front Range. And so we got back from tour. And about two weeks later, I watched a storm come out of the foothills and recognized the shape and the behavior and thought to myself, this thing is, this thing's going to do it. And I'm I'm going after it. I'm going to go see my first tornado. And I jumped in the car and I was in such a rush to get in the car. I was still in my pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I followed it for about 45 minutes I was completely on the wrong side of the storm um, and I crested a hill and in front of me was my first tornado and that was that that was really when the monster was born it was like I now I have enough knowledge to actually learn how to do this and get myself places and I don't need anybody else's help and look what I just was able to witness on my own in this moment, just with the knowledge that I've accumulated. So that's, that was the the first big event for me. This is such a story. Your story is such a story, not just of learning to be a storm chaser, but of just personal empowerment. I, I love how you took on this personal challenge and maybe you didn't even really know how big of a challenge it was to yourself until you sort of got into it. And, um, you know, meteorology is not easy. It's hard to, especially severe weather, watching thunderstorms pop and which, which one is going to rotate, which one of the rotating storms is going to drop a tornado. That's something that, you know, even the best scientists out there are still trying to figure out. So this is a very challenging, um, initiative that you, you are going after and there's a safety, you know, aspect of it as well. 
have had, were you, were you afraid when you first got into it? Did you not, you know, maybe know everything that could go wrong? Oh God. I mean, the list just goes on and on. <laughs> I think I've honestly learned more from my mistakes uh, than my successes in a lot of ways, you know, because of all of the technology that was available when I started in 2018, it was really easy, I think, initially to become what we call a cam chaser, right? Just chasing what the model, where the models say storms are going to be and how they're going to behave. And um, that really quickly shifted because uh, what we're dealing with out here in the West and the Southwest with this ongoing drought, um, and kind of dry air that's kind of always making its way into systems uh, forced me to learn how to understand all of the different parameters and how they all fit together. And since then, um, while that's kept me learning, I think uh, the thing that I keep finding is that I'm either closer than I would like to be, or it's suddenly hailing on me, or <laughs> like, I feel like I'm always avoiding hail. Um, but it's not, I wouldn't call it fear. Um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I would rather be out here experiencing this no matter kind of what gets thrown at me, pun intended, um, than be anywhere else in this moment. Being here, witnessing something that so few people get to witness in, in person in their lifetimes, um, that are just kind of when mother nature is producing a miracle um, for me is uh, is the closest I've ever come to just true joy. It's when I feel the most in flow. So it's kind of worth the trade-off. It's worth the long days and the miles and um, the mistakes and the occasional hail dents in the car and <laughs> that type of thing. Yes. Yes. I think that's very poignant when, you know, mother nature is creating a miracle. It really is amazing how much comes together in that moment to create such a vision in the atmosphere and in the sky. I want to talk about girls who chase and at what point in your chasing then did you decide that there needed to be a community and did you feel alone in the sense that you didn't have that community? Um, <clears throat> I think it was kind of a slow progression as well. Um, I can't really turn off the communications side of me. And so when I started to engage with the Chase community on social media, um, you know, was kind of observing who was participating, who was out there doing what, you know, who, who was a great educational resource, who might be open to answering questions, that type of thing to help me kind of continue my learning journey. And it, I, because of my time in the sciences, I think I entered the Chase community a bit primed to expect uh, some gender disparity because that was already well in place um, in many of the organizations that I worked in, whether it was just you know male dominated or there were actually some issues occurring relative to things like misogyny um, or discrimination. You know, I had seen quite a bit on my journey, and so because this was a crossover into the sciences, I was expecting it to be the same. And I didn't quite find that. I did find that it was very difficult to find female chasers. And I thought that was odd, um, especially early on, because I, I knew they were there. Um, and I think the other thing I encountered was I, you know, made a bunch of male chase friends who were wonderful and wonderfully supportive and not at all exhibiting the behavior I had witnessed in the sciences. Um, but 
very quickly started to struggle with things like engagement, uh, business opportunities, sales, where, you know, I could be standing side by side with a male chaser producing similar content and they were getting endless requests and sales and all this kind of stuff going on. And I was just getting crickets. Um, and, you know, some of that can certainly be chalked up to my stuff wasn't that great when I started, of course, right? We all have to start somewhere. And I was very new to photography and videography and that type of content production that was associated with producing, you know, severe weather content. But as, as time went on, it really started to get uh, to become more of a pattern. And it was frustrating. And I was getting irritated and I was starting to talk about it out loud. And the more I talked about it, uh, the more somebody would say to me, typically a male chaser, do something about it. If, if this is frustrating to you, if you're seeing this and you're angry, you're the one. And I kept thinking, you know, but I'm so new, you know, I don't know that I have a full understanding of the lay of the land. You know, there are women who've been around doing this for a really long time. Um, at this point, I had crossed paths with several female chasers and we had talked about this issue. And so it wasn't just, it had become clear that it wasn't just my own personal experience. This was an issue kind of across the board for women in severe weather. And, um, and again, because you're, I was looking at it from the perspective of having been in the sciences all of those years and experiencing it, um, it was just sort of a matter of figuring out where was this coming from? Since in the sciences, it sometimes gets perpetuated by the people who benefit from it. Um, in this case, it was a more sort of subtle, almost insidious scenario where um, we seem trapped in this circular pattern uh, where male chasers produced content, it got covered, media outlets went back to them for their content because of that relationship. And then women just all together would get left out of that equation. And so we were all sort of living this cycle without potentially even being conscious of it in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think over time, it just sort of, um, I got angrier and angrier. And finally one day thought, okay, I'm gonna put my communication skills to work here and create a platform that starts to boost women because there are plenty of them and they're really great at what they do. And people deserve to see this and they deserve to have the same opportunities as our male counterparts. There's just no reason for this to be happening. And so I started an Instagram platform because to me it was an aggregator. And if we wanted to make the point that there were all these amazing female chasers out there, it was a, a great place for people to go and see that. Um, and, and it was that combined with, I think the process I went through of realizing that I was capable of doing this. So it was kind of driven by both, um, a, the gender equity issue, but also, um, the desire to communicate that everyone is capable of doing what mm -hmm. they love. You just, you just have to figure it out and that there are resources there to help you do that. Um, and so. I started the Instagram platform and I really don't know what I expected. Um, and incidentally, actually today is one year ago that I oh, launched wow. that platform. Yeah. It's, it's our birthday. Wow, it's gotten <laughs> a lot of great coverage since then. It's it really sure made a, you know, a big splash in the community and the whole like meteorology community as a whole. Um, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, and I think that's the part that's been uh, kind of a shock to me in, in a lot of ways. Although looking back, I guess it makes sense. Um, you know, the, 
really the moment I started the platform, I was shocked by the energy um, that followed. It, it was very clear that that energy actually had been there for quite some time, but there really was no outlet for it. And so folks were just showing up in different ways. And I was getting messages, P women, um, female photographers were submitting photos from all over the world. Um, and then I started to get messages, for example, from a sixth grade science teacher who said, you know, I, I found your Instagram page and I want you to know I'm, sh I'm sharing this with my students. Um, I want them to be interested in science. I think weather's a great way to engage in science. And I want them to know that girls can do anything. And I thought, interesting, we may be onto something here, yeah. you know? Well, let's, let's take a break right now and we'll be back in just a moment. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back. You are listening to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm meteorologist Jen Carfagno filling in for our normal host, Marshall Shepard. And today I'm with Jen Walton. She is founder of Girls Who Chase. And we are talking about this platform that she started. I just learned one year ago, Girls Who Chase. So it started with an, an idea. It started with an Instagram account. And then tell us where it went from there. Um, skyward, <laughs> rapidly, pun intended. Um, I mean, it, it essentially uh, stayed an Instagram platform for about four or five months. And then the ideas that I had been kind of having over time, which was, you know, if, if we're really making the point here that female chasers aren't making it to the forefront of media um, for one reason or another, then we need to create our own essentially and what would that look like and again that communication side of me was like interviews you know let's start storytelling let's talk about um, there's no better way to illustrate that women are perfectly capable of doing this and excellent at it than telling a story and talking about how they got there how they figured it out um, and really illustrating that you don't have to be a, don't have to have a PhD in meteorology necessarily to do something like this or an equivalent in the sciences. If, if that's if that's something that you're passionate about and you want to engage in weather or science or STEM, for example, that there are all kinds of entrees to that. Yeah. Um, and it yeah. comes down to figuring it out, really. Right. And so and we talked about your your background and, you know, so in, this is not your full time job, right? You are but tell us more about no. what you do professionally outside of Girls Who Chase. <laughs> it, is, it has become a full-time job, but yeah, um, I now uh, own and run my own leadership communication, uh, strategic communication consulting business. So it has, it has kind of fit right in. Um, and the majority of my clients are in some facet of 
of climate resilience, um, extreme weather, like wildfire, for example. Um, and then I've got some folks in, in technology and healthcare. So it is, it is a lot of communication all the time. One thing uh, that I read that you spoke about in other interviews was risk. And when you look at what you what you do for a living, helping people manage and communicate risk, um, what you do taking on this risk of starting Girls Who Chase, and what you do when you're actually chasing, which is a very risky endeavor, how do you feel about risk? Yeah, that was an interesting exercise. So I was asked in an interview about my relationship with risk, and I really had to think about it because... I actually, I think in, in just my day-to-day -day life tend to be quite risk averse. Um, you know, I like to be, um, I like to think things through and be financially secure and have a plan and, you know, run a business like a, a tight ship and, and all of this kind of thing. But for the majority of my life, I have been attracted to risky activities. Um, I was a wildland firefighter. Uh, for, with the Forest Service for a while. Um, I've been a lifelong equestrian, a, an inventor, so jumping big fences out in the woods um, on animals with a brain the size of a walnut. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. And so it, I didn't really think twice about uh, moving into storm chasing, but it, it is obviously risky. And I actually think um, it's that crossover between science and risk that is what makes chasing interesting to people and kind of adds an element of badassery to females storm chasing that I think might be attractive to girls, especially who were looking to get into the sciences. And perhaps to the, the attention that their work can get as well right in terms Absolutely. of the video that they're able to get through i mean the the effort and the um it's almost like the putting the puzzle pieces together to be in the right spot at the right time to get that there's so many different levels of thinking and risk taking that goes into that yeah well yeah i mean honestly i think that's a huge part of why i love chasing is it's it's obviously it's getting to witness those moments but it's also the the process of putting that puzzle together and then discovering that you got yourself to the right place at the right time to be able to witness that for me it's that accomplishment and i think that's where this kind of self-actualization um, note that you see in a lot of Girls Who Chase communication comes from is every time you have one of those experiences where you're putting this puzzle together and you're um, around dangerous weather or um, navigating back roads in the middle of nowhere <laughs> for hours, um, even just driving to get there, you know, driving these long distances and putting in time and resources to see something that may or may not be there, when you get there, um, all goes into just this sense of incredible accomplishment when you're in the right place. It's so it's a it's the chase itself. It's you know the the picture, the moment that you're able to witness in the atmosphere when you get there. Um, what else drives you? Is is there any element of research that you'd like to get involved in for chasing? Um. You know, I've had to think about that a lot, and I, I would love to be able to contribute to research. I mean, the majority of my communications work in-house was serving as a manager or director on the communication side for science or a climate organization. Um, and so I'm quite familiar with it and 
fully understand um, how it contributes to our understanding of how the world works. So if that opportunity came along, I'd, I'd love to participate. I think initially I started it because I loved it. And, um, and it was, again, it was one of those things where if I had put the pieces together many, many years ago, I would have started 20 years ago instead of waiting till I was nearly 40. And so that's, I think that's ultimately what drives me is life is short. Um, and, you know, I think we all go through at times life experiences where we start to question, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Why is, why am I struggling? What decisions do I need to make differently? Um, and for me, I think it was the combination of going through a phase like that and also being diagnosed with a chronic disease. Um, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes in 2015, mm -hmm. which means my pancreas does not produce insulin. And people with type one can live a, a full life, um, but it definitely added an element of life is short for me. And I wanted to get out there and do as much of it as I could, because you just never know. And I, I think that's just the way to live. I think that you've found too, that sharing, you know, your passion and sharing what you've learned with others helps, you know, sort of create that whole full fullness to life, which is from what I understand, you know, why you've created Girls Who Chase. Uh, and just to our audience, I'm talking to Jen Walton, who is the founder of Girls Who Chase. You're also adding in an element of education there because, you know, as you said, it was hard to find a tutorial. There's none out there. How do you get started chasing? What kind of education is available on Girls Who Chase? For sure, yeah. So there are actually great resources out there, but it's one of those things we have to know where to look. And so I think initially, um, it, upon hearing that not knowing where to get started was a barrier to entry, I thought, well, I'll just aggregate all of these resources and make them available so people know where to find them. And then um, it's become clear since then that one of the major roles we can play is equipping people. Um, and that's not even just to chase, it's to engage in weather or more broadly in STEM. Um, and hearing all of these stories about, you know, girls discovering we exist or their parents discovering we exist or their teachers and uh, pointing them in our direction and even receiving some requests to talk to them, um, including a 10 year old girl who's, who loves tornadoes. <laughs> um, I've realized that there's a lot of opportunity here. It's kind of a mixed bag that you get on the education side. And so um, one of our key values is what I'm referring to as accessibility. I think all of this information, materials, et cetera, should be accessible to anyone who wants it. Um, and it should be accessible in a way that folks at a variety of different levels of education and understanding should be able to use it. So mm -hmm. we're actually moving into both adult education, um, and that includes, in fact, a partnership uh, that we're exploring with MedEd to start developing some educational resources um, with a Comet program over at UCAR. Um, as well as uh, some skills building events. We're looking at developing a virtual event, um, probably springtime 2023, kind of um, in tandem or back to back with uh, the Chaser Summit. There's a kind of an annual Storm Chaser Summit to do some kind of foundational skills building. Uh, in addition, we're also now building out a K-12 education program. So we're speaking with some partners who have some existing STEM programs, but also looking at scaling 
an, a little severe weather um, awareness and education program that's been run by a female chaser in Texas that we'd actually like to take national. So um, that's, that's, that's really the big focus. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of one of the things, obviously, that um, because this has become a partial full-time job and, and certainly become more, I think, than I had anticipated or ever expected when I started an Instagram page is how do you make this sustainable and how do we really add value? And I think education is a very clear answer to that. And so we're looking for partners and, and supporters and folks who are interested in helping us move in that direction. And I did want to ask the question since you, you brought that up, you know, people always wonder, how do storm chasers make money? Are they selling their, their pictures, their videos? I mean, because otherwise it's, it is a big expense, right? You're driving, gas is expensive. Oh, yeah. You're staying in hotels, you're getting hail dense in your car. Um, and so there's the, the pictures that you see on TV, like we show them, you know, on the weather channel. Um, but there's also something, the NFTs, the non-fungible mm -hmm. token that, mm -hmm. you know, is new. And that's a space that I know some storm chasers are getting into. Is there a way for chasers to make money there too? Um, you know, I think folks have had to get real creative with that. So like you said, there's kind of the standard and long time way of partially funding chasing through selling content, brokering video. Um, you know, some folks have done ride alongs with um, camera crews who are willing to pay, etc. Um, tours, that's, you know, folks, chasers, you know, can essentially fund their career by running tour companies, but that's certainly no small endeavor. So um, I think, you know, down the road in terms of how we make this more sustainable, the it's getting creative with the model. Um, so like there's a couple of YouTubers out there who've really figured out how to engage and whether you mentioned NFTs, um, a different way to sell content in, in a way that actually makes them real money potentially. Um, and I think I've just started to look at Girls Who Chase as you know an entity that has the potential to sustain itself. Um, I, that is certainly not why I created it. Um, for me, chasing was a hobby and, you know, I needed a career <laughs> to be able to pay for the vehicle and the miles and the gas and all the resources and everything. Um, I think, you know, in my perfect world, I would love to find a way to do this full time because this is, this is it for me. Yeah. This is your passion. Um, does this, does Girls Who Chase help you connect with other female chasers such that you'll go out and chase together? Do you chase with a partner? I tend to solo chase. I do have some friends I'll go out with occasionally, um, but I would say for certain, especially based on anecdotal evidence that Girls Who Chase has created uh, way more of a community than there was previously. And I think it really just comes down to bringing awareness to that there are other female chasers and where they are. And, and the kind of work they do. I mean, I think a lot of us were kind of out floating out there doing our thing without realizing how many were out there. And some of that is just because folks aren't active on social media or they hadn't met the right people or whatever. I think in my case, um, the boosting of the content brought people forward um, that I just had no idea. And so we do run a discord server um, with a you know meet a chaser channel because we do want to offer that ability for people to connect with each other find a chase partner ask questions etc um, it's gotten a, it's been a little slow on the get-go but i think it's because we started it right before chase season 
and folks have been busy. So we'll see what happens when we get into winter and things get a little bit quieter on the severe weather front. But but really, um, this notion of helping people connect and just recognize that there are other women out there doing this who can help answer questions and support each other, I think has been one of the best um, outcomes of Girls Who Chase so far. Excellent. Well, let's take a break. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm meteorologist Jen Carfagno filling in for Dr. Marshall Shepard today. And with me is Jen Walton. She is host of Girls Who Chase. And I've really been enjoying this conversation, especially I'm, I'm getting ex- inspired by, you know, everything that you've brought to Girls Who Chase, your experiences, all the emotions that you've gone through. I want to talk about the storm chasing community, though, as a whole right now and something um, that comes out quite often every year in the last couple of years during chase season is that it's, it's getting crowded out there. There's this notion of storm tracer convergence, right? Every Everyone's on the same storm, especially on big severe weather days. So what about chase safety? And what, what about the storm chaser conser- uh, uh, convergence? Talk more about that. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I just recently had a conversation with um, one of the folks who runs the Storm Chaser Summit. And I think it is becoming an increasing concern in large part due to, we've had an influx of younger chasers um, who are interested in becoming meteorologists who have begun to show up on social media and interact with chasers online. And we welcome and encourage it but the bar for success appears to have shifted from saw a tornado to what we call zero metered a tornado, which is either being in it, being in the outer circulation, um, getting up so close that you can see exactly what kind of debris is flying around. And um, there's this sense that it's really only a matter of time. And it's not as though we haven't Uh, witnessed this before. We all know what happened in 2013 with El Reno with some very experienced chasers who've been doing that for a very long time. So um, I think there's increasing concern because of that, because of the numbers, um, and just uh, what has started to feel like this kind of lackadaisical, you know, it won't happen to me sort of mentality. And so there are conversations going on behind the scenes, I think, with several of us who feel like 
we have a responsibility to speak to that issue and to mm -hmm. talk about safety and, and ways to make sure we are staying safe in the field. And, and so we're looking at infusing some of that into our educational programs. Um, I personally, so again, I live on the high plains. I actually tend to avoid um, Texas and Oklahoma <laughs> during high season because of the chaser convergence. Um, it worries me way more than being overrun by a tornado or giant hail or something of that yeah. nature. Um, just every year we see stuff happen to folks and, right. and we did lose a few in our community this past year, not necessarily due to convergence, but um, it's dangerous out there. It's and dangerous. It gets messy and the roads are bad. And so um, mm -hmm. it is, it's definitely a topic that's on the forefront, I think for all of us. Yeah, I mean, tr driving is dangerous, right? I mean, and, and the very nature of what you're doing is driving miles and miles and miles. Uh, do you, do you chase only storms that might rotate and produce tornadoes? Are you looking for the, the supercell? Are you going down to Arizona or chasing monsoon? Um, I mean, I'd love to mostly chase supercells. I think that's really my, and you know, another reason I call myself a high plains chaser is because our dew points tend to be a little bit lower, which means we, you can see structure more clearly in many cases out here. And um, you're more likely to have uh, some really cool views or be able to see things from further away, et cetera. And so I prefer those types of scenarios. Um, it's been a rough, it's been a rough year. It's been a rough few years actually out here. Things have slowed down considerably. It's very dry. Um, we just really haven't had the systems come through that would produce severe weather in this area. And so I've found myself ranging farther and changing my criteria. <laughs> um, so I am going to try my hand at monsoon chasing this year. In fact, I'm hoping to leave next week uh, for southern Utah and Arizona to spend a few days um, trying to capture storms, hopefully in front of some of the monuments down there, maybe the Grand Canyon, but just head to southern Arizona, Phoenix, Tucson area and see if I can get some cool looking bolts. Yeah. Kind of the next yes. Stop. Yes. Indeed. Well, and I think you know chasing. Well, there there's definitely a season for for severe weather, especially in the Great Plains. You know, severe storms can happen any month of the year, and it might be those you know renegade storms that you get in November, which could be the the most photogenic, right? They're you know the 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 one that no one's expecting, so you're on it yourself. That's actually kind of my bread and butter um, is capturing things when everyone has run out their chasecation and is gone home. <laughs> um, and there's like the one-off events. Um, that's what's so great for me about living in this area um, is I tend to chase the event rather than choose a two week time frame. And the reason that I now consult instead of work full time is so that I have autonomy over my own schedule and the ability to um, take off if I decide it's, it's kind of worth the trip and you know not and the ROI is the return on investment is is worthy. Um, I love showing up under the random stuff that no one sees coming. It's kind of my yeah. favorite. Right. No, it's a feat. It's a feat to find those. So, what would be your ideal chase location, and what would be your ideal storm structure? And do you have a favorite one? Oh man. Um, so far, I would say my favorite chases have been in. Um, so there's a kind of a corridor between southeast Montana, northeast Wyoming, and the Black Hills in South Dakota. It's just stunningly gorgeous 
up there. And that area behaves somewhat similarly to uh, the front range here in Colorado in that a lot of the um, topographic features in that area induce lift, which creates storms. Um, and these just really gnarly, crazy looking supercells get funneled from um, Northeast Wyoming near Devil's Tower, which if I can capture one behind Devil's Tower is kind of my favorite. Um, and then into kind of the Black Hills and then into Northwest South Dakota or um, near Rapid City, which is kind of the, the front range area of uh, the Black Hills. And there's just something about how weather behaves in that area that I've never seen anywhere else. I've now chased three years in a row out there. It's one of those where if you see something on models or you see a setup coming, you just don't ask questions. You just go because <laughs> um, it's just going to be there. They always just act a little crazier. The colors are a little more intense. Um, it's just worth the trouble I have found. So I think, a, you know, a structured supercell is up there. Obviously, a tornado um, is a cherry, but I don't chase for tornadoes. I mean, I enjoy a lot of different kinds of weather, um, but something where you can get a great combination of colors and cool structure would be yeah. my ideal. Yeah, no, personally, I, I think sometimes the big supercells with or without a tornado are the most photogenic, especially when they're captured at sunset and you can see the structure of the storm. And even in a still picture, you can get a sense of the rotation. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of image I just think just captures you know, mother nature at her, her sort of angriest, but also, um, in a, in a mysterious sort of way, cause you'll get that pretty sunset color just off to, you know, maybe the West. Yeah. You know, chasing, chasing, um, when you watch movies about storm chasing or sort of all the memes that are created, it's, you know, it's, it's a couple of guys in a car and they're stopping and they're eating greasy food. Um, but I know that's the way it's gotta be because you are on the road, you're trying to make good time. You're trying to make sure you get to the storm. So what's, what's your go-to chase food? Do you have one? So I actually regularly get in arguments like fun arguments with folks on social media about this because this whole notion of greasy food like it it cracks me up because you have these kind of stereotypical guys who spend four months on the road eating junk and then uh -huh. at the end of the season they complain about how horrible they feel and that they haven't gotten <laughs> any exercise in four months so i kind of early on actually really starting with the tour um got a sense for the ebb and flow of chase travel and figured out how to pack relatively healthy food along with me so that I wasn't buying stuff at gas stations. So it kind of helped me save money, but it also kept me from just consuming junk for days on end. Um, and so my favorite thing is just a bag of pretzels or um, snap peas and carrots, something that can keep you awake and entertained while you're driving these long distances. Um, and just the other thing for me is making sure I'm hydrated. If I'm chasing, I sort of forget that I have a human body. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you forget that you're hungry. You're just, you're so focused on what you're doing um, that you're not thinking about eating or drinking or taking care of yourself. You're just chasing. And sometimes that can run for hours. Um, so I do try to stick to the healthy stuff, but I think, you know, at the end of a good chase, um, man, a bag of Doritos just really, 
<laughs> That's the reward at the end. <laughs> yeah. The carrots along the way and water. I love that yes. so much. Uh, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. What What's next for Girls Who Chase? You talk about a lot of the education angle. Do you have any plans beyond that? Um, well, so in addition to the education stuff I mentioned, I mean, we are now essentially a full-on platform. So we've got Instagram and Twitter, and we would love to... Um, if you're a female chaser and you've got great content, please engage with us, follow us and tag us. Um, and we also have, like I mentioned, some of these events, um, great events coming up where, you know, folks can participate in one way or another. Um, and whether it's skill building or they're participating as volunteers or they're providing content or being a teacher or something of that nature. So lots more information about that coming soon. Um, and we're also in the works on a partnership and sponsorship program where we can begin to partner with folks to, to make this sustainable and continue to grow out the education side. So um, I mentioned MetEd, um, but if you're looking to support an initiative like this, we'd love to hear from you. That's fantastic. And what are your handles? What's the best way for people to find you? For sure. It's Girls Who Chase on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and if you're interested in talking to me, I am at uh, me, Jen Walton, M-E, Jen Walton on Twitter, um, Trailblazing Maven on Instagram. Um, and those are probably the two best places to find me right now on social media for Chase content. Fantastic. Well, right now it is time for our Geek of the Week. And we like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. And we didn't have one for this week, but I decided to nominate Lori Grace because I found her as part of the Girls Who Chase community. Her pictures are amazing. Awesome. Uh, Lori Grace Bailey is a professional wedding photographer who also enjoys chasing extreme weather and extraordinary skies. Lori and her work has been featured in Cosmopolitan and Backpacker magazines, and she is the director of MonsoonCon, which is an annual convention in Tucson, Arizona, and she's a dedicated NFT artist. And if you or someone you know would know a deserving candidate for our next geek, just check out our social pages to apply. So Jen, thank you so much. And I, I really have enjoyed actually uh, seeing a lot of the photography through your Girls Who Chase accounts, because now I'm, I'm able to meet many more storm chasers out there and see their work and see the weather around the, around the country, even into Canada, you know, from a different perspective. And I think that's what this is all about. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. And thank you for highlighting Lori. She's been a really active participant in Girls Who Chase. So that's wonderful. And Thank you so much for having me and for bringing this topic to the forefront. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. And thank you all for listening to Weather Geeks.